The Lab takes the ethereal to the practical. Our podcast acts like a business school case study for private equity professionals, CEOs, operating partners, and chief transformational officers. We all know transformation is the key to differentiated alpha. Here's how you actually do it. Our audience tunes in to learn from those in the field, getting their fingernails dirty and driving meaningful growth through better operations, technology, and data. We learn from going to business school, teaching at business schools, and applying these lessons in the real world that case studies actually help the insight stick better. Come join us. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of the podcast here. We are very lucky to have Don here. Don Marchand is a CEO that's built a business successfully, partnered with private equity, kept growing it, sold, and is now doing again. The old statement, I wish I knew then what I know now. And Don's done a great job of taking a lot of those lessons learned historically and bringing them to bear in this new venture. So we want to welcome him. And I thought maybe we could start as Nick and I were thinking about this before recording, you know, Don, maybe do you want to give a quick background of of you, how you got started into a very hot topic, no pun intended at the moment, fire and life safety? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Ken. I would say, I wish I knew then what I knew now is an understatement. You know, my business was 27 years from origin to initial sale. And it actually was a lot longer than that because I started my company when I was 25 with two partners. And, you know, before that, you have to go back to my fourth birthday. And my, my father took me downtown Chicago to see the fire trucks as McCormick Place burnt to the ground. And McCormick Place Exhibition Center in 1967 was the world's most expensive property loss due to fire at the time. So... That made an impact on the world, on me and my career. And so my dad steered me into fire protection engineering. And at the age of 25, two years out of college, I started my own business. We focused on fire protection and we became top of our particular market. And over 27 years, we grew that until we merged with others to create the world's largest fire protection engineering company. That was merged and formed pretty much in 2014 and 15. And to this day, it continues to grow. In 2018, I exited. And I think it was early 2019 when I met you, Scott. Yeah. The red letter day in the history of your professional career, I'm I'm sure, right? But I think what we were doing is we were looking at buying a business that you know quite well. And your sage advice at the time was, hey, it's not worth the purchase price multiple that's going to be required to buy it. So then the next question becomes, all right, well, what would you do? And, you know, and the idea was, well, listen, let's buy a bunch of companies thoughtfully that can accomplish a goal and have a lot of recurring revenue. And, you know, private equity 101, buy things for lower multiples, pull them together, integrate them and sell them for higher multiples. But, you know, and so far so good because you're on that path, and and it's been a it's a fun journey to watch. And so I guess you know, any thoughts on other executives who maybe have had a similar story in that they started a company and maybe they for the first time want to bring on a partner in private equity, or maybe they you know want to do it. This is their second or third gig. 
you know, what's your advice to someone who maybe doesn't have the same level of experience you have with private equity? Yeah, so there are myriad thoughts on that one. You know, first off, thanks to you, I was able to recognize with your help, I'm and I'm 100% sincere about that, with your help, that we could do in four to five years what it took 27 to do before. And that was grow, build a company, and eventually resell it at a handsome multiple. You know, in in looking at it, like Scott, we went through this for probably a year with him when we interviewed about 50 different PE firms that you set up. And, you know, we talked and talked to them two, three, four, five times, right? So I, I think I want to dial back and go a little simpler for a moment and just take it from the standpoint of a business owner. A business owner has his business. He thinks it's his business. It'll always be his business. And that's going to be the way it is until he gets more mature. And then he realizes that what's going to happen? Am I just going to wind it down? And they start to recognize that the value of winding down a business and walking away from it is zilch. So they start thinking about how do we get out of this? Private equity is a total mystery to most business owners. Investment banking, two words, they not even in their vocabulary, you know? So I think a lot of small and private business owners do not have a concept on how to approach private equity. And I think one of the unique things that I learned working with you was to develop your own thesis and then find somebody who wants to support that. And finding that is like the private equity you know, tour, meeting different private equity people, finding companies who have different strategies and mindsets that will accommodate one's thesis. And, you know, there's really just uh, very basic things that most business owners are just not aware of. Private equity is a mystery to them. So having someone like Landcore, like yourself, being able to reach out to the lab and understand that you can immerse yourself slowly and get educated without making a serious mistake is very reassuring, I think. and, And business owners ought to consider that very seriously. You joked about it, Don, when we first talked, you know, in prep here, you mentioned, I would have known then when I knew that, 27 years. If you could talk to your old self, would you have engaged a Lancor five, six years in, or were some of those growing pains necessary? Because I'm assuming as as an operator, you, you kind of had to get to know what you didn't know, right? Yeah. No, the, the conversations and discussions. So I had two partners. We were best of friends, and each of us saw the world 120 degrees out of sync. So that gave us a very nice 360-degree view of the world. But you can talk yourselves into anything and victimize yourself with group think. And that group think can cost you significantly. So when you're looking at what you're going to do in terms of running a business, our initial concern was we wanted profitable growth. We, we were not willing to compromise profit for growth. That's, that's one thing. The second thing was, you know, we didn't have the controls, the structure, the policies, the infrastructure of a, you know, a company, a corporate mindset. The first 15 years we were in business, it was like a, a bunch of engineers in a fraternity house. You know, we just, we got things haphazardly and as we needed them and 
didn't have a long-term plan. Once we started, you know, doing a little more research and maturing, we got a plan and, you know, we crushed it. And in, in, in less than 10 years, we grew 472%. We became dominant in our market, et cetera. But when I was, if I was to look back and talk to my old self, I would have grabbed myself by the neck and said, find a money guy, find some people who know about, you know, financial leverage and pay attention to it. And, and that's what we missed. No question. Well, I think the hard part is, as it is in any business and any partnership, it's about trust. And it's hard to find someone that you believe always has your best interests at heart. I think one of the things that you said, which I loved is, you know, the, everyone's got a 120 degree different view. So that was good on you guys for, you know, thinking about the benefit of diversity, diversity of thought, you know, diversity of experience, diversity of a vision. Too oftentimes people all have the same sort of background and get after it that way. So I think, you know, you guys, you can always be harsh on yourself, but I think you guys did a very nice job of building a different, have different mindsets when you're building the companies. And, and that leads to, you know, when you're thinking about, the, you know, the different private equity firms, they all are filled with smart people for the most part, I think. And so, you know, what do you look for in, you know, their experience sets? Is it, hey, these individuals are bringing this and this and this, which we don't have? Is it, hey, there's a moral compass alignment here that I feel comfortable, I trust these folks. You know, what is it that's, you know, the most important things for you and what could other entrepreneurs just make sure they're thinking about when they're thinking about their private equity partner? Boy, that's a great question. And you know, because I think, I seriously think I counted 48 different firms we talked with. And like I said, multiple meetings across those firms. So we got a really interesting spectrum of sampling. And so my takeaway from that was the first thing is the other party, in other words, a private equity firm has to express interest in what you're doing. If, you know, if their eyes are glazing over, if they're bored, they're not, they're not interested. Well, fine. Great. Just move on. Go to the next one. And it's so easy to say that because when you're looking and you want something so bad and you're working so hard to get it and you feel like you've wasted your time or you got rejected, that requires, you know, a little bit of moxie. You got to steal the spine and have some thick skin. But at the same time, I'd say that their interest in the area, you know, of your thesis is number one. Number two, obviously trust and honesty. And, and how do you gauge that? How do you tell that? Well, you tell that by sharing information back and forth and, and you commit to give them something, they commit to give you something and you see how quickly that happens. That can also help you understand how important you might be to their success. So finding that those paths of potential mutual success, the roots of trust, and I think the common interest going forward are, I think those are the three keys right there I would, I would have to offer on that. I don't think I've ever asked this question directly, but how has your day-to-day as a CEO and business leader changed since embarking on the private equity partnership and journey? <laughs> I think I know, but I need to, I need to hear it. It's a lot different answering to someone else than answering to yourself. And, and you have additional partners and 
You know, I tell my constituent companies and my partners who are the non-private equity part of the, the deal that, you know, when we talk to private equity, when we're talking to the guys who are fronting the money, it's like talking to Wall Street. You can never be wrong. I mean, you can be wrong, but you you have to be accurate, honest, prompt. And, you know, if you're going to promise something, you better be able to deliver it. So we're exceedingly careful and, and shrewd about what we commit to. And at the same time, we commit to enough to make sure that we maintain leverage that's interesting to PE. You know, to your point, Don, a lot of people who start businesses like working for themselves. And so there's a, a big jump that needs to go on where you have to be ready to bring on another partner. And so, you know, the types of partners, too, that you have to deal with at a PE firm, from junior to senior, from, you know, generalist to specific, are all different. So, you know, it's hard. It's hard enough to run a business and grow it on your own. It's also hard to placate and benefit from demands at a private equity shop. So I'm going to speak out of both sides of my mouth for a minute. All right. So it's a lovely thought. I remember when we started our business, we're like, wow, we don't need any policies. We can, we can do whatever we want, whenever we want, you know, but guess what? You're always accountable. You're accountable to the client. You're accountable to your employees. You're accountable to yourself if you want to succeed. So the leap from being accountable to oneself and one's partners, if you're truly putting in an effort, growing and, you know, running a successful business, then you know that the leap to having one more partner is really an order of magnitude as opposed to a, it's just another order of magnitude as opposed to a, a an infinite change. You know, you always have partners. That's a fallacy that you can be an entrepreneur and not be accountable to anything. I work for myself. No, you don't. You don't. You work for clients. Otherwise, you won't be working. You know, I guess that while I say reporting, all I'm doing is taking the monthly metrics that we used to have in our business that we used to run for ourselves when we were growing like crazy. And now I'm sharing that with some other people, private equity, and they have new and interesting questions and a different way to look at it. And I welcome that input and that help. What's the growth strategy look like going forward? It sounds like there's been massive growth through M&A. Is I to continue in the next you know, decade, or are you looking to slow that pace down? Personally and professionally, I, I have no desire to slow anything down. I want to accelerate it. You know, I mean, the economy is an outside force that, you know, is offering friction against what we're trying to accomplish. But at the same time, our particular business, the fire protection business, is regulatory-driven, and, you know, I will go back to my father, my dad. He's like, he goes, you know, it's recession resistant. You'll always have a job in fire protection and so on. And, and, and I think that's particularly why this moment in time, it's, it's highly attractive to many people. So I think my advice to others would be if you can find a business that has a five to 10 year outlook, a market with a five to 10 year outlook that is solid in the face of whatever macroeconomic trends there are, you'd, you'd, that'd be a wise choice because, you know, we have regulatory requirements. People can't skimp. If you don't do your fire protection, you get shut down. 
this little device over my shoulder here, this enunciator notification appliance, that flashing light and everything better work or this building can get its occupancy permit pulled if they decide to let things go. So we have a built-in market drive. We have built-in margin and we have a steady supply of work as long as we can supply enough technicians to handle it. So it's really incumbent upon us to hire in this economy and keep going. On the lighter side, because podcasts are supposed to be fun a little bit, what would you be doing if you weren't running this business? I know you're a martial arts guy. You got a lot of other interests out there. I mean, what would you be doing in your free time if you weren't running this company? I would be building something. I can't sit still. I have to constantly build. You know, if it's not, you know, working on trying to be as good as my kids in martial arts, which is not easy, you know, trying to keep up with them. I'd be building something. I don't know what, maybe another type of business. But, you know, the, the reason I do this and what interests me about it is building things. I've always been a builder of things. So, you know, I don't I don't dabble in cars. I mean, I like boats. I enjoy my boat. But, you know, I'd be building things. Something I'd be building. I don't know what, but something. Yeah, that's a great, you know, classic CEO, founder, P-backed individual. And that's that's a great answer and a consistent answer. So, listen, I think that's part of what you've been able to do. And then, you know, we'll see. I mean, how is the how soon from green light go? Let's get this done. Are you guys thinking about exit? You know, is it the old joke? If you, you know, think you're gonna <laughs> own the thing forever, you got to act that way. Because if you don't, you will. So how soon were you thinking about not who you're going to sell to per se, but how soon in the journey? Because now you're piggybacked, right? And there's a an IRR clock that's often ticking in the background. Well, I know what my preferences would be, but I hesitate to air those publicly. I will say that we're building a quality, enduring operation that anybody could come in and take over with the minimum effort. I think that's first and foremost, the most important thing. Secondly, you know, our exit is not the next exit. It might not be the exit after that. To make the analogy of, you know, the highway here, we might just wait until we see the one that we like. And that could be anywhere from five miles down the road to 50, 500 to 5,000 miles down the road. You know, to put it in a time scale, I think if it went more than, five years from green light go, there'd probably be some heartache on all sides. But on the other hand, if it did, it might be because we're doing so well, we want to keep it going because we know we can really expand the multiples and go with geometric growth, you know? And I think that that's an achievement, you know, a distribution machine, if you will, is certainly a, a different achievement in and of itself. So there's, there's buy to sell, there's build to, you know, provide distributions and to provide the combination. I think we want all of it. And and our team is definitely bought into that. You know, so I'd say five years is probably a fair number. Could be less, could be more. It's been fun to add a little bit of value to the process, but really you and the team you've assembled have been really fun to work with and for. So it's been fun to go along in the journey with you and, and build it and, and sort of Hopefully the the audience that Nick and I are you know spend our time with will find 
your experience is valuable. I know they will. And so thank you for joining us on this edition of the podcast. And, you know, we'll have you back on after your first or second or third exit. You can tell us what you're doing with all that extra cash flow. I look forward to that. And I would just say that, you know, your, your, your humility and strength and that none of this would be happening if it wasn't for you, Scott, and your team. You guys reached out, you inspired, you organized, and it would not be happening without you guys. So I'm, ab- I'm, I'm absolutely grateful for that and appreciative. And, you know, we are glad you're part of our team. You're very kind, and let's go see where we go. It's a fun journey. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. First of all, Scott, that was you got a good shout out there. You must have done some good work with Don, man. Yeah, well, I just love that you're surprised. That makes me feel good. <laughs> I'm not surprised, but man, that was good. Landcore. Check out the labs, all I gotta say. That's some good stuff. Hey, you know, something that really jumped out to me on that is he talked to he said forty eight or fifty different PE firms. What's that like? You wanna talk about a dog and pony show over and over again. That's tough. Yeah, well, I think it's sort of like doing a, a roadshow. Like when you're doing an IPO, you're selling a business. Like as, as a banker, like you speak to a lot of firms. I think you know we we talk to a bunch because listen, you know, a PE firm normally would say, "Hey, listen, here's a ten million dollar EBITDA business. Do you want to buy it?" It's sort of binary. You do or you don't. It's in the right industry. It's not. You know, buying builds are hard, right? And so. You got to go to investment committee. You got to say, listen, this is our guy or this is our gal and this is the plan. So, you know, we and then he's got to feel comfortable that, you know, that they're the right firm because what he was selling and is selling to the universe of fire and life safety folks who've got five, six, three, two of EBITDA. Trust me, I'm like you. And I've looked at all these P firms and here's why I've chose I'm going with this firm. And this firm is the anti-private equity, private equity firm. They're not a bunch of scary, you know, Wall Street animals. I've looked at a bunch. So he, he spoke to a bunch and, you know, ended up picking one that he was most comfortable with. Yeah, a little inside baseball, but I'd love for you to kind of take us back there. And, and so you're, you're talking to a, a business owner that's, that's run a business for 20, 20 years, sometimes longer. And, so, and then you're also playing with these PE folks that you're talking to all the time, right, for, for various different reasons. And then you're kind of playing the middleman. How is that kind of matchmaking from a culture perspective? Do you know that some of these are just no-goes, but you're kind of doing the PE a solid or vice versa? Or you're trying to get the, the leader exposure. How do you play that? Because to me, that part of the politics is kind of interesting. Yeah, listen, it's, I wish it was easy as swiping left or right in the new world order, right? But it's, it's not that easy. So I think what you need to do is figure out, you know, and let's be clear, you need to know what you're good at, what you're not good at, right? And even though I may have done banking for 17 years, I'm not an M- I'm not a, a PE professional. There's a difference, right? And so I think I know what a good business is and it's backable because I used to sell them, right? But I'm still not, that's not my experience yet. And so sometimes you get it right, sometimes you don't. But, you know, someone who's run a business and grown it, whatever the number was, 400, north of 400, you know, percent over a time period, and has had PE experience and exit, it's a leading indicator that, you know, he's a good person to back. And that's been the case with Don, but but you're right, you never know, right? Because, 
you know, everyone's got their own, you know, issues and, and experiences and successes and failures. So you have to sort of make your best guess. Well, look, I think it's, it was really fun talking to a CEO, a, a business operator. We talked to some transformational folks at the strategic level, but you know, he's hands in the dirt. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that. And that's the goal of this podcast, right? It's to be talking to everyone and anyone that is hands in their dirt to, to the 10,000 foot view to give those unique perspectives. So we'll be back again with another one. As always, it was fun, Scott. Yeah, likewise. Thanks, Nick.